Blog Talk Radio. If I speak for your followers, and I speak for your ex-followers, and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that bad, yeah. run. Absolutely believed his own bullshit. Now, does that mean he believed it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yes, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. Do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is a culture in Scientology that children are not children. So... Yeah. And welcome to the 98th episode of Come Get Some on this Come Get Some Extra Scientology Edition, Part 2 with Lynn Zimberg. I am Miami Six Man, Chris Creamy. You can uh, message me at Miami Six Man on Twitter, at CGS here, at CGS Extra. You can also find a CGS, uh, um, a Come Get Some. Uh, Facebook webpage, I keep forgetting to mention. I have a website. Uh, 98 episodes, and uh, in uh, two episodes will be number 100. But first, before I get into all that, I want to start with something that uh, that I think is really important. I want to start with Leah Remini. That's right, Leah Remini. Uh, since we last talked, since you last heard me on this podcast, Leah Remini and Mike Rinder and the entire A&E staff – and I feel like the entire ex-Scientology community won an award, uh, the uh, Television Critics Award for Outstanding Achievement in Reality Television. Uh, it's an award that I think uh, means more than just a trophy. It's it's telling you, telling Leah, telling Mike, the entire staff at A&E, anyone brave enough to speak out, rather you spoke out on Scientology in the aftermath, a blog, a podcast, a YouTube video… This is a message to all of you, everybody, that uh, you're being heard. And it doesn't matter how far away from the stage Elizabeth Moss gets, you can't deny it's been heard, and uh, it's it's been acknowledged. So uh, that's coming back for season two. I am so excited. Um, Scientology in the Aftermath, Tuesday night. On a TV, depending on your time zone, uh, I will be watching it. I will probably be taking an odd hour to break at my work to be able to see it. Um, it's it's time, and uh, and there were uh, some people who wanted to hear more. And I say wanted, I meant felt we needed to hear more of the uh, the more serious stories to really see the extent of what happens. And uh, we're going to see that in season two. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's it's important. Uh, I'm switching things around next week. Switching things around next week. Next week, I start part one of a really sweet lady, good friend, uh, becoming a good friend of mine, someone I really like a lot. Uh, Glenda Smith used to be with the CCHR with Scientology. She's got a lot of great insight. 
That will not be happening on Friday next week. That'll be happening on Thursday next week, where I normally do my regular uh, Come Get Some show. So that Friday, I can go live, and we're going to celebrate 100 episodes of Come Get Some slash Come Get Some Extra. And the reason I say that is I've never been able to quite – and I think in hindsight I should have done it, but I never split the two up really so much. So it all combines for 100 episodes. But it's not all that bad on the Scientology side because it's actually at the same time as I'm celebrating 100 episodes of Come Get Some, I'm also celebrating a year since I first poked my head down the rabbit hole of Scientology talking to Kathy Schenkelberg. Uh, she was my first interview on the subject in August of last year. And uh, it was kind of my eye opening of going, okay, here's the dots, there's where they connect. And uh, we, we know where it all went from there. I know um, a lot of people have come to uh, – a lot of people in my family and my friends and coworkers and whatever have come to the point to where they don't understand why I do this uh, – why I do this show. And I, I know it all started with – actually, again, I talked to start the show about Leia Remini. Uh, it all started with the aftermath for me. Uh, it's the whole inspiration and, and, and the whole idea of why I do what I do here. It's the thing with Amy Scobie and John Alex Wood uh, smearing her all over the internet uh, really was the uh, the combination, the perfect storm to make me do this show. And since doing this show for a year, roughly a year, um, you know, there's a few months between Kathy and, and Chris Shelton, who uh, who was my first on the extra label. It uh. It's gotten to the point where I've gotten to know a lot of uh, a lot of you good people, and uh, even some people I've talked to off the air that never made it on the air with me. Um, I was one of those people that sat at home, the, you know, the whole indifference thing. You know, I knew something was wrong with Scientology. I knew it was a cult. I read the articles. I read the blogs. I seen the documentaries, and I sat at home and watched and thought, "Is it really? You know, is this ex- is this exploitation? Is this uh, is this being exaggerated for television?" Is this really as bad as it sounds like it is? And after the getting getting to know some of these people personally and, and talking to uh, the ex community, I've found that it's not as bad as it looked on TV. Uh, more often than not, it's so much worse. And uh, I know things I cannot know. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so uh, uh, we're gonna keep going with this, and it's not gonna stop until the abuse has stopped. Uh, you think about what happens uh, to these people. What happened to these people back when they were in Scientology? You think about what they go through today. Whether you're talking about PTSD, or rather you're talking about, uh, you know, whatever fair game might be going on. Uh, it, it never ends. And you think about the people who are going through it today. That you know, I think I, I knew about the abuses for ten years. And never thought about it that much because it didn't affect me personally, and uh, and now I know, and I think someone's going through it today, and I think of children going through auditing, baby auditing, and the purification rundown, and and, and just the the mental and the uh, and the abuse that could be going on right now that nobody's trying to stop uh, within within the walls of Scientology. So uh, let's keep this rolling. And here is uh, uh, well before I go to part two, as I say, Friday as I said I'm celebrating the hundredth episode. I'm going a hundred percent live. Uh, I realize 12:30 in the afternoon Eastern time is not the ideal time 
to expect live interaction. So please send any questions, any thoughts, any anything you want to say, um, any feedback for the past year, the past hundred episodes, uh, year and a half that you want to ask me about. Ask me about any guest. Ask me anything you want through hashtag CGS here, or you can email CGS here at gmail.com. And of course, the phone lines will be 100% open and live again uh, next Friday. So come please join me for 100 episodes. Uh, until then, uh, let's go ahead and do part two of Lenzenberg. Um, how did you end up leaving? Very gradually, very slowly, uh, I, I sort of became more and more disillusioned. Um, I, I remember there was there was one one incident that took place in my apartment where uh, I, I I had been inactive for for some time, and uh, uh, Gary Epstein, who at one time was the commanding officer of uh, the Advanced Org in Los Angeles. Gary Epstein and Louis Swartz came to my apartment, and Gary uh, wanted to give me a free course at the Freewinds. And uh, he spent two or three hours trying to persuade me to to, to take it. I mean, basically, it would I, I would have just paid my airfare, and everything else was would have been taken care of. And I was very polite. I was eventually, I, I, I just said, no, I, I, I'm, I'm really in a good place. I don't need it, don't want it. Uh, now's not, not, not a good time. And, of course, they were very, very insistent. And finally, I remember at around 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, telling them that it was time to get the fuck out of my apartment and that they just weren't hearing what I was saying to them. I mean, that that's a specific incident that I can point to where I, you know, I mean, where I, where I was able to articulate that I did not want to continue in Scientology. Uh, but even then, I was so fearful of, of arousing the, the, the rest of the organization that I I regretted it. I mean, it, it you know, uh, when 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 I when I emailed Paulette and apologized to her, and then when I was put in touch with Tony Ortega, who who was writing the book about her, I was I was so fearful initially. Um, There's, there's just a, a very, very um, the, the aspect of Scientology's uh, retaliation was something that I understood close up and firsthand because I had participated myself in those activities, mm. and it wasn't just with Paulette. It wasn't just with. The, the breaking into Robert Kaufman's apartment. Uh, it, it was over the years just a, a, a host of uh, uh, infiltrations and and 
uh, subterfuge and, and lying and, and deception. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, some of the things that I was involved with had to do with my... Try, I, I was taught how to get a false... how to create a false identity which involved scouring obituaries hmm. and finding a child who had died at a very, very early age who would be approximately my age. Then I would contact the Bureau of Records and request a copy of their birth certificate because birth certificates and death certificates back in those days were not, you know, computerized. They, they existed on microfilm, and it was very easy, relatively easy, if one would, would you know, follow this, this uh, uh, Scientology's instructions. It was very easy to, to assume a false identity. Uh, and once one had the foundational document of a birth certificate, they could construct a much more complete uh, uh, cover. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the intelligence aspect of Scientology, uh, number one, it belies every single one of L. Ron Hubbard's claims about what operating phaetons could do independently of their body. Right. Uh, why, why would I have to break into Robert Kaufman's apartment with George Pilot um, to, to, to photograph everything in that apartment? If there were a single operating Satan who could exteriorize with perceptics, why was I committing a felony? Right. I mean... That's very true. When you're, when you're in Scientology, you don't... You know, that thought just does not occur it, it you know the indoctrination is very very complete so what was the what was your last day what was your last day in Scientology oh I you know what I what I what I know is this in in 1991 um I flew to uh, Israel during the Gulf War um, to sort of the, well the, the, there's a group of volunteers for Israel and I guess by that time I had sort of begun to return to, to my Jewish identity and I had, I'd never been a particularly observant uh, Jew, but I've 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 been proud of my uh, heritage, of course. And so, in 1991, when when I flew to Israel uh, and and did that, I I know that I was out. I mean, um, you know, a few years earlier, I had testified on Scientology's behalf at the Wallersheim trial. Um, and before that, I had infiltrated various groups uh, of independent Scientologists. There was there was a group up in 
Elmira or Ithaca that uh, I infiltrated, and that was on behalf of uh, OSA because the, uh, the the money that I was provided to to take a course there was was uh, issued by a, a lawyer. Uh, I guess I was I was on the lawyer's books as an investigator, and yeah. uh, this gave Scientology, you know, plausible deniability and. It, it created a legal buffer between uh, the organization and and myself. Um, so I guess I, I I don't know whether I've answered your question. Yeah. Or not. I think I think it just sort of happened over time. You just just realized you weren't a Scientologist anymore. It, it, it is. It, it, it is a very gradual process. Um, it, it, there's, there's a peeling of the onion aspect to the deconstruction of Scientology. Um, so, you know, I mean, the, the, right now you have people who sort of have one foot out and one foot in. They, they you know, they, they say, well, the, the, the tech is valid. Hubbard was flawed. But the tech is valid. Uh, you know, the the how how can that be? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, each individual has to come to their understanding of it uh, on on their own. Yeah. And uh, you know, but yes, how can that be? <laughs> it's, it's it's a valid question, I think. Um, so yeah. having having been through the whole the whole cycle of that. Um, can you imagine, because we hear about people, and I'm not going to talk about a specific person, but people go back. People leave, try to redeem themselves and do good things, and then they go back, besides for a family member. Mm -hmm. Why do you think people go back? Well, one of the one of the strategies that Scientology has employed, and that they were doing it back in the 70s, was when they had a, a, a critic who had done real damage to them, they would get them to recant their testimony. Uh, it happened, I believe, with one of the... Uh, well, we, we, we can look at the, uh, the coroner in the Lisa McPherson case who issued a very clear report that was quite damning of Scientology and who, under pressure, recanted that that uh, uh, testimony and issued a subsequent report that, that was much more vague and inconclusive. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, Jr., who, who worked very closely with Hubbard, would alternately... Uh, criticize and then recant his criticism. Uh, mm -hmm. So that you know that that's sort of like the the handling of last resort that the guardian's office and OSA engage in. And uh, uh, it's it's very hard. Uh, you had you know Bob Minton, who who really did a, a tremendous job. Exposing Scientology's abuses, 
and and Stacy Brooks, who who basically went silent. Uh, you know, Hubbard talks about shuttering people into Scientologists by either finding or manufacturing something against them that 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 will silence them. Hmm. And so that you know, uh, and and believe me, Chris, these these are tectonic forces that Scientology can apply uh, with with uh, a, a bottomless amount of cash and uh, cadres of fanatical adherents, um, you know, they, they've managed to, uh, to silence a lot of people. Unfortunately, though, the Internet makes it uh, pretty much impossible, and they're on a very, very uh, downward slope at this point which we can all be thankful. Yes, it seems like uh, very often in whether it be a sex check or an audit or an ethics thing that um, the question of what your worst thing you've done is is almost always brought up. And uh, that's it seems like they have a lot they could use anyway without having to do a lot of research. Yeah, absolutely. In, in, in my case, the, the, there was a point that came where I, I had to stop working with uh, the Guardian's office in OSA because I, I, I went through a period where I uh, was, I, I, I don't know how to describe it other, other than to say I, I, I was really as, as close as I could possibly be to a nervous breakdown. And uh, I, I I've never been a heavy drinker, but I was drinking a bottle of vodka every day. Oh. And I I told my OSA handler, Charlie Jackdorf, uh, that I that I couldn't continue and explained to me, well, you know, it's okay, but we just want to make sure you don't have any unhandled overts. So come into the York and, and do uh, a life history. Um, so I wasn't sex checked. I, I voluntarily wrote every single uh, uh, incident involving a sexual partner that I could recall. And then I even, I think, manufactured a couple because I would submit it and he'd say, well, the, the case supervisor feels that there's more there or they'd put me on the meter and my meter wouldn't float and whatever whatever it was so i was i was in the osa offices for about 3 days just you know writing up every single thing that i had ever done uh, uh sexually uh which you know it sh- i i should have i should have understood that i was basically giving them rope to hang me but at the time i i didn't because I believed, well, yeah, you know, the reason a person stops doing something or becomes critical is because they have overts. I mean, that's, that's you know, Scientology 101. That's a very basic part of the indoctrination. Right. And so, um, you know, that, that was how I sort of extricated myself from, from being a spy. Uh, my, my name had been excised uh, from Scientology publications uh, I, 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 because they, they didn't want me to be known as a Scientologist, 
but uh, fortunately, there's there's this uh, a person who does a uh, website where she's she's collated uh, the names of all people who are reported by Scientology to completed services. Her name is Christy Walker, and her website is uh, what's it called truthaboutscientology.com. And so I, I, I went on that website and I looked for Len Zinberg and nothing came up. And then I looked for Leonard Zinberg and nothing came up. And I thought to myself, wow, they really, they, they erased me from their history. Hmm. And then I typed in Lenny Zinberg and boom, the fact that I went clear in 1976 and my clear number was 5549 came up. So they, they, they almost completely erased me wow. from, from Scientology history. That's crazy. All right. All right. So yeah. we got to a point to where uh, you've been out for a while. And uh, this is where I gain a lot of respect for you. And um, so, so I'm watching Merchants of Fear, uh, the Lair Remedy special on uh, Scientology and the Aftermath. And I see you talk about. Um, Paulette Cooper, and I saw a lot of humanity there, and I, that's when I decided at that point, I'm going to reach out to this guy and have him on my podcast. Um, do you want to talk about how that all went down with Paulette? Well, uh, um, basically what happened was this. We, you know, you began by asking me about what, what happened with, when I was 13 years old. Yep. And what happened between 1991, when I got out of Scientology, until 2013, when I made contact with Paulette, was I spent a lot of time on the internet. I I didn't uh, uh, speak out, but I was basically lurking. Uh, uh, sometime around 1993, I got a. a, a computer that a friend of mine was getting rid of that was a, a 386 computer and he was getting what was the state of the art at that time which was a Pentium computer and and I got an AOL telephone account and I started surfing the internet and I came upon this web this this news group called all religion Scientology which Scientology was spamming very heavily at the time, but in between the spam, there was some really genuine uh, information. And as the Internet grew, and I continued to lurk, remember now, this is from 1993 to 2013. That's a 20-year period when I was completely under the radar. I, I hadn't posted anything. I, I you know, was, was essentially uh, off the grid. Um, so what happened in, in 2013 was preceded by a trip to Israel for my own children. In 2012, my son and daughter were bar and bat mitzvah there. And shortly after that, I saw a video that Mark Bunker had done 
an interview with Paulette Cooper, which talked about the fact that Paulette, at that time, still hadn't discovered who the Jerry Levin character was who had insinuated himself into her life and was basically living with her and spying on her uh, for Scientology. And I thought back to the, to the people that I knew during that time period. I, I, you know, I knew Jimmy Meisler. Uh, I knew Jeff Marino. I knew his brother Jimmy Marino. Uh, I, I, I knew a lot of the people who, who were involved with the Guardian's office. And I thought maybe, maybe I I I I can, uh, uh, you know, by by sharing with her whatever knowledge I had, I I could help her to to uh, reach uh, closure. Um, and so uh, I I just. Typed this email and and hit the send key and the enter key and uh, you know it's one of those things which uh, you know when you do it you're setting in motion a whole series of things over which you have no control but you have to trust in a a kind of you know cosmic uh, justice taking place. Sure. And uh, so I, 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 I've never regretted reaching out to her. It was extremely difficult. Uh, it was uh, honestly, it, it was because I, I was riddled with guilt, and I realized that. To, you know, how, how do how do I ask for forgiveness when I I've, I've been hiding for the last forty years after having participated in in this stuff? Uh, so if you know, and I I just you know I was I, I just felt I, I I should be honest with her, and she was so remarkably. Uh, Understanding, you know, and I, you know, and you know, a part of it was, I'll, I'll tell you, a part of it was this: I had spent so many years impersonating a critic of Scientology that, you know, I, I thought, oh, you know, she, 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 she's not going to believe me. She's not going to, you know, she's, she's going to think that. Scientology is running an operation on her. Right. Um, it, it was... Uh, uh, obviously, it was, it was a very cathartic experience for, for, for me. And uh, the fact that uh, Paulette put me in touch with Tony Ortega, who was so fearless and honest... Um, uh, very, very, very uh, hard to 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 express 
my admiration for for Tony because uh, he's he's just such a, a, a dedicated journalist, such a, a just you know. Uh, now I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> well, well, you you hit a point too where uh, you know this is a very uh, personal. And you know, sometimes it's hard to express those things. The, I, I don't remember if this came up. I feel like it must have come up uh, on aftermath. Did, did you forgive yourself? I I did forgive myself, but what I said is that more importantly than forgiving oneself is that one needs to believe that they're worthy of forgiveness. Right, I remember that. By, by speaking out, I mean, I, I, I don't do a lot of uh, interviews, honestly. I, I, I was interviewed by Steve Kanani in, in Toronto uh, at, the, at the conference there. And... Uh, and when 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 Leah Remini asked me to to participate, I I, I immediately agreed. Um, and and when you asked me, I I uh, of course agreed. But you know I, I I'm not I'm not looking for publicity, but I won't shy away from speaking the truth. I appreciate that. I, I I've reached the point now where at at the age of seventy. Uh, it's it's more important to speak the truth than to be concerned with uh, self-image or, or or any of that other stuff. And I I've tried as best I can to uh, explain to my children, uh, you know, the, the the dangers of uh, not applying critical thinking. Right. And and uh, question everything. Hopefully, hopefully they they are inoculated. But you know, you know, and uh, I gotta say, this is why I have so much respect for you, and why I think highly of you. Is we all, at some point in our lives, have done something, something we regret, or something that we're embarrassed about. And it's so easy to just—I mean, it can be so easy to just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. And no one ever has to know, but you knew, and it and uh, it, it's a a testament to your moral compass that you had to say something. It took a while, but it did happen, and and I can't say enough good things about that. Well, thank you, Chris. Okay, so something I do at the end of these these interviews for all my guests is I do something called 10 questions. It's kind of a goofy little thing. Some are silly questions. Some might be deeper questions. If you want to participate, uh, you don't have to answer if you don't like a question. Go, go ahead. All right, 10 questions with Lynn Zinberg. Uh, number one, uh, you actually talk about, um, in one of the articles I read about you, about fear and how it can be your ruination into evil. But uh, true or false, it can also make you stronger. Um, at at the point the the point true or false fear can make one stronger. Yes. Uh, yeah. When 
It's yes, it can. You tackle your fears, you you take it and you control it. Um, yes. Number two, to Sherbert or not to Sherbert? Do you like Sherbert? <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> number three, who's on first? Who? Exactly correct. I love it. All right. Uh, number four. Uh, I always said I'm going to write a self-help book about this because uh, you know uh, the Hubbard thing started with self-help ideals. Um, number number four. True or false? Only you can help yourself. False. Sometimes you need a little help along the way. You're saying. Absolutely. We all need some help along the way. It's always good to know uh, when to ask. Absolutely. Uh, number five, what's your favorite drink, or do you not drink? You, you said earlier you didn't drink usually. Uh, I, yeah, I guess uh, uh, Black Russian. Black Russian, okay. Number six, in your opinion, uh, briefly, can you tell me how a true believer can possibly be reached? I think that's like a big question, actually. Um... Gradually and over time. Right, you I can't beat them over the head. Uh, I'm sorry? I don't think you can beat them over the head with it. No, you you can't beat them over the head with it. Although I did enjoy uh, John McGee's recent uh, uh, activities in uh, uh, Dublin <laughs> at the uh, Jai Bases concert. But yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, people have to you know, each experience something that causes them to rethink, especially something like Scientology, which which it 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 gets its hooks into a person on so many multiple levels uh, that you know. I, I think, you know, just speaking out and exposing people to the truth about Scientology eventually will will cause many of them to, to rethink their involvement. And it obviously has, because Scientology is really um, a, a, a shadow of its former self. When when I was involved in it, it was uh, there, there was easily a hundred people in the New York org. Uh, I I remember uh, you know uh, the incredible string band gave a concert in New York in sometime around 1970, and there was a line out into the street and around the block of people trying to get into Scientology. Uh, the, the price of admission was buying a Dianetics book, and 99.999% of the people who came into that concert never <laughs> set foot in the Scientology organization uh, afterwards. But there, there was a time when Scientology was very popular, and in, in the intervening 40 years, it has become less and less and less popular. Because of its criminal behavior, of course, it really doesn't deliver any of what it promises, and uh, of course the public is aware, 
you know, so, you know, the people who are still in, you know, they, they, they've been subject to that bamboozle for, for a long time. It's going to be hard for them, but it can happen. It can. It can. Uh, number seven, what do you do in your spare time? What are your hobbies? Um, I, I'm a coin collector, and I love reading and uh, walking my dog by the river. It's so funny. I, I really thought you were going to say coin collecting. That's really funny. Okay. Uh, number eight, can you describe Scientology in one word? Lethally dangerous. Well, hyphenated. Okay, <laughs> that's that's good. Uh, number nine, and, and I agree. Uh, number nine. What's the last thing you said to an active Scientologist? Do you remember the last thing you said? Yeah, I said um, uh, I'm going to be on uh, the <laughs> uh, program, uh, and I gave them the uh, time. I said, uh, you know, you might want to watch it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Number ten. Um, What's next for Len Zimberg? You got anything coming up? Um, no, I'm I'm not. Uh, I, I I really have nothing coming up here. I'm sorry. That's okay. You, you seem like a private guy to me. You just sort of keep to yourself. That's fine. That's good. Well, I really I really appreciate you coming on the show, Len, and it really it's kind of eye opening to see the different perspectives and to see you come full circle on that trip to the museum and, and what your 13-year-old eyes see and what you see today. It's amazing, and um, and uh, I think a lot of people appreciate you. Thanks, thanks so much, Chris. I, I appreciate the, the, the kind words. No problem. You take care. You as well. Bye-bye. All right, so that was Len Zimberg. Uh, we proceeded to speak for over 30 minutes after that interview. Um, really good guy, really good guy. So, uh, so there you have it. Um, remember, come get some extra returns, not on Friday, but on Thursday with Glenda Smith, wonderful lady. You're going to love every bit of our conversation. A very well-spoken, very intelligent lady uh, with a lot of important uh, data to share. And, of course, um, Friday, come get some 100th episode. Live, completely unpredictable. I'm not setting anything up. I haven't made calls anywhere. Maybe we get some live calls from past guests. Who knows? It's totally unpredictable. Uh, send your questions to hashtag CGS here or to CGS here at gmail.com. Or you can just tweet me and I'll try to keep a note jotting them all down in one form. Uh, so I have them all available for the live show. I'll have clips. I'll talk. Uh, it'll be fun. And uh, just, uh, again, hey, who knows? Maybe nobody calls, nobody writes. I don't care. There's going to be a live show next Friday celebrating 100 episodes, and I've had a lot of great support and supporters uh, for what I do. And just remember, uh, I've always said, as much support as I've been given, this is not uh, come get some of the original, come get some. I always said, you know, it's not my show, it's our show, and uh, uh, even more so on the Scientology side, this show is for um, for survivors, and this is for exposing uh, the abuses. And, uh, and and that's what it's meant to be. So thank you again for coming this week and listening. Uh, until next week, until Thursday, stay connected. And that about sums it up.
if I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mum and dad, don't talk to your mum and dad, that bad, they're wrong. Absolutely believed his own bullshit. Now, does that mean he believed it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yes, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. Do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is a culture in Scientology that children are not children. So... Yeah.